In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Lord says there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, showing great signs and wonders, so much as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Although today is the last Sunday of the church year, it is the first in a series of Sundays, once known in the English-speaking world as the Stirrup Sundays. For each Sunday's collect begins with the same Latin word, ekshita, stir up. And today, in the prayer of the Mass, we ask the Lord to stir up our wills, the means by which the Church wishes to stir up our wills is by meditation on the end of the world and the coming of our King and Judge. The Scriptures tell us that if only we kept eternity before our eyes, our wills would never stray from the right path. As the Divine Sage tells us, in all things, remember thy last end, and thou shalt never sin. The Gospel which we hear today will be told to us again next Sunday on the first Sunday of Advent, told by St. Luke, of the day we hear it from St. Matthew. And the Gospel we hear today is truly completed by the chapter in St. Matthew which follows, the 25th chapter. And thus we see the full response to the question put to our Lord today by his disciples. Tell us, O Lord, when shall all these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the consummation of the world? Our Lord then gives a twofold response. His prophecy finds its fulfillment in those days, as he promised, with the destruction of Jerusalem. As we are reminded in the Mass of Church Consecration, which we hear during this month of November, the temple of God is a microcosm of the entire universe. It is the dwelling place of God with men. And as our Lord speaks of the destruction of the one, he foreshadows the destruction of the other. Today the Church invites all priests to speak to their flock about what is called the last things. And as our Lord's prophecy today has a twofold application, so the study of the last things is divided into two parts. We have the last things concerning each individual man, and then the last things of all mankind. Last year I spoke to you especially about the first part, that every human being is subject to the law of death, particular judgment, and then two possible eternal destinies, hell or heaven, perhaps by way of purgatory. Priests must never cease to speak of this subject. Even those on this earth without faith can acknowledge that the end of this life is coming for all of us here present within a few short years or decades. 
But you and I know from faith that one day there will come a generation of human beings that truly is the last generation. Their end will also be the end of all things. Why do we speak about these last things, especially these last things of the entire world? I propose to you three reasons. One, to know the truth which God has revealed. Secondly, to shun all curiosity, intrigue, and error about these important questions. And thirdly, to make us turn to God in prayer, in confidence, and in love. Concerning then these last things of mankind, what are the truths that we all must profess as Catholics? We may number them today as seven. At the end of the world, Christ will come again in glory to pronounce judgment. The time of Christ's coming is unknown to men. All of the dead will rise again on the last day with the same bodies they had on earth. The bodies of the just will be remodeled and transfigured to the pattern of Christ, who is risen in glory. The bodies of the wicked will also rise again immortal, but unglorified and subject to suffering. On this last day, Christ will judge all men. The wicked will then be separated from the just, and they shall go to their separate abodes in eternity, never to meet again. And finally, on the last day, the world will be destroyed and gloriously restored. What I have just named for you are articles of our Catholic faith. And so let us cast away all intrigue, predicting the date of the end of the world, raptures, being left behind, all books which have any sort of title like that attached to them, and anything about a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Let us rather abandon ourselves to divine providence, aided by the scriptures, as their marvelous prophecies truly do unfold before our very eyes. For as we hear later on this in Advent, that which was written in former days was written for our instruction, that by patience and the consolation of the scriptures, we might have hope. It is in this spirit that I now undertake to expound to you a particular truth of our faith, which is necessarily linked to any consideration of the last things of mankind, the figure of Antichrist. St. Jerome, the great master of the scriptures, commenting on today's gospel, explains that when our Lord says, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, although this prophecy has immediate fulfillment in the defilement of the temple by the image of Caesar, not long before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, he says it find, we find its ultimate fulfillment in Antichrist himself. In perfect accord 
with the words of St. Paul to the Thessalonians, the end shall not come unless there first come an apostasy and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and is lifted up of all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself as if he were God. Who is this Antichrist? St. John, in his first epistle, seems to speak of many. He seems to speak of a spirit of Antichrist, or even a way of thinking which can be called Antichrist. It is certainly true that the spirit of Antichrist has been in the world ever since the devil lost the battle on Calvary. Antichrists, then, in the plural, are to be found in every age. And if we call them by that name, it is because we recognize them as precursors of the man of the final days who will bear that title for the last time. We must then reject the notion that Antichrist can only be understood in this sense, only as a sort of collective personality, a way of thinking, or a spirit of an age. There will truly be a personality at the end of time who will be recognized by the faithful as Antichrist. This Antichrist will be a man. He will not be a supernatural being. Remember that even the devils are not, strictly speaking, supernatural beings. They have a nature different from ours. They are pure spirits, while man is a composite of spirit and matter. God alone is supernatural in himself. He alone is beyond all created natures. He alone, then, can perform the works of creation, of transubstantiation, or of taking on a human nature and uniting it to his divine nature, and that mystery known as the Incarnation. No, the only way any creature can become supernatural is by participation in the life of God, that is, by grace. The good angels and all human beings in the state of grace are then far more supernatural than the devils can ever be, for they have lost grace forever. And so anyone in the state of grace is more supernatural than Antichrist. We who live in Christ have a power that he shall never have. This is important to remember, for Antichrist will have the strength of all the legions of devils behind him, whose spiritual nature allows them to act upon the material world, such that he will imitate and mock the supernatural life of grace and perform many signs to deceive people into thinking that he has supernatural powers which exceed that of Christ's disciples. Was the apostle continues to the Thessalonians, his coming is according to the working of Satan in all power and signs and lying wonders. This advent of Antichrist will be possible because he will appear on the world stage at a time 
when the power of the devil will be completely unleashed. This, according to the surest teaching of the fathers, is the meaning of the thousand-year reign. And it has nothing to do with what we hear from people today, especially in this country, who follow a heretical idea known as the rapture. According to true Catholic teaching, from the time of Christ's passion until today, the power of Satan has been bound. Though he can foster great evil in this world by tempting individual men to sin, he has been unable to take power directly. The reign of Antichrist, then, will be the time of Satan's unleashing. In order for this to take place, two things must first occur. First, there will be a total disappearance of the political order that has endured, at least in some form, since the time of Christ. The Roman Empire, both in East and West, will cease to exist, along with every monarchy that claims to rule over any portion of what was once the Roman Empire. This is in wondrous fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel, who predicted so many centuries beforehand the rise of all the great empires and the final dissolution of the last, the Roman, in the 20th century. He depicts for us a statue made of gold, silver, bronze, and then iron mixed with clay down to the toes. These different parts of the statue are rightly interpreted as the Babylonian, Persian, Greek, and Roman empires. The last, the Roman, is depicted by Daniel as two iron legs mixed with clay and having ten toes. For the Roman Empire would be divided into East and West. Although at least one person in East and West would claim the title of Caesar until the end of the First World War, this empire would already begin to crumble over the centuries with lesser kingdoms, that is, the toes, claiming portions of it. This fourth and last human empire corresponds to the fourth and terrible beast foretold in Daniel chapter 7 and again by St. John in the Apocalypse. This beast and its ten horns will lose their dominion, but they will be replaced for a short time by the reign of one little horn, which Daniel says has the eyes like the eyes of a man and speaks great things. Second of all, the advent of Antichrist must be accompanied by a great apostasy. An enormous number of the faithful and hierarchy will fall away from the divinely revealed truth. This is foretold in that same passage of St. Paul to the Thessalonians and in our Lord's words today, there shall come forth false Christ and false prophets. Only the faithful will remember that these cannot be Christ, for the second coming of Christ must accompany the total destruction of this world before its restoration. Those who have fallen away from the faith will then join the ranks of those who hearken to the teachings of this last and most terrible false Christ. What of the conversion of the Jews? As you heard 
last week from the pulpit, the coming of the children of Israel to the truth of Christ is certainly an event that will mark the final days. This may occur, however, only after the Jewish people have been deceived by Antichrist, perhaps even embracing him as their long-awaited Messiah. What we must never forget is that the reign of Antichrist is to be short. Both Daniel and St. John speak of three and a half years. And it is to be followed immediately by the second coming of Christ, who will destroy him. For St. Paul tells us the Lord Jesus shall kill him with the spirit of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Thus then comes the reason, dear faithful, why I speak to you of these things today. If we consider the last things of each individual, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, for our salutary conversion, we consider these last things of all mankind, not because we presume to pronounce upon the date of their arrival, although indeed we may find signs in our time, but in order to encourage us. We must consider the words which we will hear from our Lord in the Gospel of next Sunday. When these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption is at hand. The end of the world and the end of our own life should not be a source of discouragement for us. What are we doing here as Catholics if our actions do not have eternal consequences? All the things in this life which we refer to as tragedies are nothing of the sort. We know with divine faith and must never cease to repeat to ourselves the truth that there is only one tragedy in this life, dying in the state of mortal sin, leaving this world as an enemy of God. The end of the world then is to us a promise, not a threat. It is true that throughout this month of the Holy Souls, we hear in the Requiem Mass the Die Sire, day of wrath and doom impending. But we have also heard the beautifully consoling Masses of church dedication for the great Roman basilicas. Our calling is to be saints, to be part of that glorious vision of St. John which closes the New Testament, and which we find so beautifully represented on our side altar of Christ the King. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, Behold the tabernacle of God with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself with them shall be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and death shall be no more, nor mourning, nor crying, nor sorrow shall be any more, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Amen.